And today we're reading from the very first chapter, Genesis chapter 1. If you'd like to follow along, there's plenty of Bibles on the back table. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems, and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth, uh, fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thank you, Hannah, for bringing the word to us. Today is the first of four, a four-part series of sermons on why we pray. So unfortunately, it won't be in successive weeks. It's just how it is with visiting preachers and that sort of thing during the vacancy. But in a few weeks' time, I will get to address weeks two and three consecutively, so that'll be good. But my goal in these sermons is, is not to induce guilt about how little or how much we pray or um, regale you with examples of people who rise at 4am and spend hours and hours in prayer. I actually find that uh, sort of thing quite demotivating myself because it doesn't come in far enough down into the depths and I think what this series is seeking to address is that more fundamental question, why do we pray in the first place? Why pray? So that's the question I want us to think about, particularly today, and thereby encourage us to draw near to God. And honesty compels me to admit that I've benefited enormously from this book, Why We Pray, by William Phillip. It's simple, it's easy. I'm not just parroting what's in there, but a lot of the formative ideas from this book have influenced this series. But remember, our help doesn't come from William Phillip. Our help comes from God, so let's pray. Our Father and our God, we draw near to you in the great confidence that you hear us. Scripture is full of encouragements and inducements. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. So, Father, we draw near to you in prayer. We ask for your help. Open your word. Teach us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to start by telling you the big idea right up front so you can hold it in mind through the sermon today and through the rest of the series. If you remember nothing else from today, remember this. God is a speaking God. And speech creates relationships. God is a speaking God 
and speech creates relationship. That's the big idea. So I've fired my big bullet and I just, just want to uh, show you why behind that. Let's step back and try and unpack that. We pray because God is a speaking God and speech creates relationships. So look at Genesis 1. How many times do we see the God who spoke creation into being speaking in this chapter? 19 times we find God speaking. And God said 11 times. And God called five times. That's another way for saying God named. God called them such and such. And God blessed three times. All these involve speech. So at the risk of rereading Genesis 1, let, let's just look at those examples. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. That involves speaking. Verse 6, and God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. Verse 8, God called the vault sky. He named it sky. Verse 9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. Verse 10, so God called the dry ground land and the gathered seas he called seas. He's speaking and he's naming, speaking, naming. Verse 11, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to its various kinds. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs to mark sacred uh, times, days and years. Verse 20, and God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Verse 22, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. Verse 24, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Verse 29, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And then chapter 2, verse 3, that we didn't read, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. It is a litany of speech, naming, and blessing. Speaking, naming, blessing. 
The writer of Genesis is clearly communicating something to us that is fundamental to the nature of God. You cannot understand the living in the true God unless you come to grips with the fact that he is a speaking God, a God who communicates. As the Christian writer and filmmaker uh, Francis Schaeffer said back in the 1970s, he is there and he is not silent. He is there and he is not silent. The psalmist said, day unto day, utters speech, night unto night, brings forth knowledge. The heavens declare the glory of God. God speaks through creation. Now, if we move into Genesis 2, we find something very, very interesting. We find that Adam mirrors a number of the things that God does in Genesis 1. We find God bringing all the animals to Adam and Adam names the animals according to their kinds. Then interestingly, the Lord brings Eve to Adam and Adam says this, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And the writer of Genesis tells us, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Twice, Adam names Eve. It happens again in chapter 3 and verse 20 after the fall. And Adam named his wife Eve for she was the mother of all the living. So we know that God established a relationship of marriage between Adam and Eve here because verse 25 of chapter 2 refers to Adam and his wife. In Matthew 19... Jesus refers to this. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female? Quoting chapter 1, verse 27 of Genesis. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Quoting Genesis 2:24. So they are, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together... Let no one separate. Marriage is a creation ordinance of God, ordained by God between a man and a woman. I could say a lot more about this, but suffice it to say that Adam's headship is seen by his speaking and naming Eve. Like God the Father spoke and named things in Genesis 1. We don't read of Eve doing that, but we do read of Adam doing that and God bringing the animals to Adam and asking him to do the naming. It's significant that Adam's headship relationship with Eve precedes the entrance of sin in Genesis 3. It's part of God's good design. It's not suppression, it's not repression, it's order. It's how God has ordered things. 
Now, if we look back over Genesis 1 and 2, we gain a picture that is very different from modern evolutionary thinking, which speculates that matter existed in the beginning and morphed into random levels of complexity over time and by a long chain of haphazard events and coincidences, different kinds of beings came to exist, including human beings. In that worldview, there is no rhyme or reason behind creation, let alone the creation of man and woman. Everything is regarded as working without any need of God. In contrast with the random haphazardness of modern evolutionary thinking, Genesis reveals to us a God of system and order who chooses to reveal himself as he fathers creation and brings it into existence, establishing a relationship with it, blessing it, naming it. What he has created is there by his good design. So God creates by speaking. And in speaking, he establishes a relationship with what he creates. It starts to function according to how he has blessed it and how he has named it. I read recently in the introduction to the Hebrew-English interlinear ESV in the Old Testament, these words, it said, there is no word in Hebrew that intrinsically means to promise apart from to speak. The speaker and the context is what turns speaking or saying into promising. So there's no different Hebrew word for promise from speak. And basically, what it reveals to us is that with God, the God who speaks, there's no disjunction, there's, there's no failure to follow on. Everything is consistent. What he says, he does. When he speaks, it's as good as done. It's promised, and it's only the context that will tell you the difference between the two. Clearly something deep and mysterious happened when God spoke in Genesis 1 and 2. And it takes the rest of the Bible, the story of the Bible, to explain to us what God was doing. So in the New Testament, we read these words inspired by the Holy Spirit through John. John opens his gospel this way. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us full of grace and truth. The one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Verse 18. The book of Hebrews begins. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. See, God speaking. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. God is a speaking God. When he speaks, things happen. His very act of speaking is creative. The message of the gospel is similar. It contains within it the seeds of new life. When people receive the message of the gospel, new life springs forth in their hearts. And God continues his creative process. So in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, we read this statement. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, that's through Christ, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That's us speaking back to God. God speaks in Christ. We reply, amen, let it be so. Jesus Christ fulfills the promises of God. In and through Jesus Christ, what God has spoken comes to pass in fulfilment of his word. How good is that? How amazing is that? How encouraging is that? So in the book of Acts, we come across this peculiar phrase, and the word of God grew. Acts 12, Acts 19. This is another way of saying the gospel grew. The message of the word made flesh, Jesus Christ made flesh, the good news about Jesus, his death and resurrection, when people heard that news and received it in their hearts, then it took root in them and it bore fruit in them and in a sense the word of God grew. It multiplied. More and more people believed. More and more people said, Amen. To Jesus Christ, the fulfilment of the promises of God. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the word of God spoken in human form. He is the very form of God speaking to us and fulfilling the purpose for his creation. So to summarise, God is a speaking God and creation results from his speech. He spoke he called or named and he blessed and things happened. And in so doing, he caused a relationship of priority as the creator or father of the world to come to pass. And it was all very good. And we see this very nature of God in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God's word made flesh. In Christ the Son, the Father establishes a relationship with his people as their redeemer, not just as their creator, but as their redeemer. And it is very good. From the very beginning, we were created to be people who speak to God and to speak to one another. 
because we're made in the image of God and he is a speaking God. How could we not speak? So Adam speaks and names the animals. Adam speaks about Eve and sees that this is moan of my bones. This is the flesh of my flesh. This is amazing. Thank you, God. But something happened to rupture this wonderful relationship. And we read about it in Genesis 3. After man sinned, he withdrew from God and stopped speaking. What was the first evidence of Adam and Eve's sin? Look at Genesis 3, verses 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? There was a withdrawal from God. The God who speaks, the God who says, Adam, where are you? Sin messed with their relationship with God and turned it on its head. The man hid himself and God cries out, what's happened? Where are you, Adam? Adam hid out of a sense of guilt and shame. Sin had ruptured that open, natural relationship with God. Adam and Eve were thrown out of their father's garden and removed from the immediate personal presence of God. And God guarded the way, the entrance to the garden, so they couldn't get back in. There was a cursing of the world that God had created, a cursing of the earth. God cursed Adam's labour of his hands. And God cursed Eve in childbirth, in pain, you will bring forth children. So God's designed purpose for the man to work and till the soil and for Eve in bringing forth children would know disfavour instead of favour. Shame and pain lead to withdrawal and non-communication between people. Proverbs 18.19 says, An offended brother is harder to win than a walled city. Someone who's taken offence at something, no, no, I'm, I'm not talking to you about that. Don't, no, no. And, that, and that's what happens with sin. And that aptly describes what happened to mankind's relationship with God. It is broken down irretrievably on our side. And we've put up barriers against God. The tragic consequences of Genesis 3 are repeated every day around the world. What happens if someone in a marriage commits adultery? It leads to heartache. It leads to breakdown. It leads to non-communication. First arguing and fighting, and then often I don't want to talk to you. How could you have done that to me? And withdrawal. Domestic violence. Fleeing from your loved one. Where friends fall out with one another and are no longer on speaking terms. 
We see it in the schoolyard. I'm not going to talk to you. Well, I have a new set of friends. We see it online, bullying. We see it in international relations when peace talks break down. It's being displayed to us every day on our TV screens in Ukraine at the moment. No more talking, firing bullets, weapons, guns. Sin causes us to withdraw and become unresponsive if we disagree and don't like what we hear. And if provoked, we fight or we flee. Sin makes us like some angry teenager who doesn't like what his father says to him, storms off to his room, slams the door, turns up the music and hopes dad won't interrupt him anymore. This week, I was literally preparing this sermon and we had a knock on the door and it was a guy that we'd organised to come to our house to clean our chimney flute. I've been suffering, suffering from vertigo, so it's not a wise thing for me to clamber up on our roof and try and clean the chimney. So this guy had come to clean the chimney flue. I opened the door. I hadn't met him before. He's recommended by a friend. And the first thing he does when he speaks is he points to his voice, his voice box. And he spoke in a really low, husky voice. And I had to listen very carefully. He said... Eight years ago, I had a viral infection and it's affected my voice box and now I can't talk very well. And I'm going, whoa, this is the very issue that I'm preparing to speak on. It's like God was showing, showing me a living parable of this. And this is what he said. I, took, I, went, I went back in when he clambered up on the roof to clean the flue and I made note of this. He said, you don't realise how important speech is until you experience something like this. People have trouble hearing me every day. I can't raise my voice. I can't shout to get anyone's attention. If someone is hard of hearing, they don't understand what I'm saying at all. I just went. Whoa. Later that same day, I went to the letterbox to check our mail. And I pulled out a letter from the Bible Society. They send out mail outs. When I opened the letter, out fell this bookmark. The word of God is alive and active. I thought, whoa. Here's a bloke that can't speak. But the word of God is alive and active. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of shaking my head. Day unto day utters forth speech. Night unto night shows forth knowledge. God is a speaking, communicating God. He reaches out to us. We might have withdrawn from him. We might have put up the barriers. But with God, there's good news. He didn't stop speaking to us. He still keeps pursuing us. He still keeps addressing us. And I think, wow. We've heard it before in Hebrews 1. In the, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
Although sin has made us withdraw from God and shut our minds to his words, God in his kindness and grace keeps speaking to us. Heavens declare his glory to those who have ears to hear. How many times did Jesus say that during his ministry? He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what I'm saying. God is a speaking God. We need to listen. So God has painstakingly ensured that the record of his speech to us has been written down in the Bible for our learning and our instruction, our hope and our encouragement. And the Holy Spirit was as instrumental in giving us the Bible as he was when he hovered over the waters of creation. Remember, we just read it. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Just as much as he was there and he hovered over the Son of God at the waters of his baptism in the form of a dove, God's Holy Spirit is associated with the communication of God. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost? They speak with new tongues. They start to understand. Peter says, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. Whoa! Scripture starts to come alive. Lights are turned on. New life is happening. Bang! God is at work. So the coming of the Spirit opens our hearts to God, the God who speaks. In fact, unless the Spirit comes on us, we're not born again to hear those words. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. God will be as silent as dull and boring and irrelevant to you as a block of wood. But the God who speaks when the Holy Spirit opens a person's heart gives ears to hear what God is saying. Obedience to God is the visible form of faith and prayer is the audible form of faith. Prayer is faith expressing itself in words. Prayer is responding back to God. The Psalms are full of prayers, reaching out to God. It's God and man back in connection, back in relationship, crying out to God. So we were created in the image of God to be in a covenant relationship with him. And ever since the fall, prayer is a sign that human beings recognise God's love for them. The Bible translator William Tyndale said, prayer is the longing for God's promises. Prayer is the longing for God's promises, the God who speaks. Think of it this way. Someone can't say, I do, until someone else says, will you marry me? Similarly, When God extends grace to us through his Son, 
who loved us and gave himself for us on the cross, it's like God knocking on the door of our heart and proposing to us, can I come in? Can we eat together? Can we be in relationship? It's like, will you marry me? And we have to open the door of our heart. We have to say, yes, by all means, I do, I will. When Saul, the archenemy of Christians, was converted and Barnabas was sent to lay hands on him to heal him, Barnabas knew that Saul was a persecutor of Christians and he he said, Lord, I hear terrible things about this bloke. And the Lord said to him, he's praying. He's speaking to me. I've spoken to him and he's answering me. And Barnabas went, and it was so. He found it just as God had said. In prayer, we respond to the Father who spoke to us by his Son and gives us his Holy Spirit. So prayers of confession and supplication are how we say yes to the good news. We confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Prayers of praise and thanksgiving are how we express our gratitude to our Heavenly Father. We say, thank you, Lord. We sing songs to him. We write songs about him. We communicate with God. Daily prayer is how we now walk with God every day. We walk with Jesus Christ and we open our hearts to him and we say, Lord, What's on your agenda for me today? We walk with God. We pray to him every day. So why do we pray? Fundamentally, we pray because God is a speaking God and speech creates relationship. No prayer, no relationship. If I walk down the street and I see someone coming to me maybe a a complete stranger, or it might even be someone I know, and I say hello, but there's no response, there's no relationship, not even a casual one. To sustain a relationship, you have to communicate. To establish a relationship, you have to communicate. At some point, people who get married must have met one another and started talking. Otherwise, they wouldn't be where they are. That's just how it goes. So if you remember nothing else today, remember this. We pray because God is a speaking God and speech creates and sustains our relationship with God. We saw back in Genesis 1 that God spoke every t- and every time he spoke, something came into being. Through speaking, he fathered things and brought them into a right relationship with himself, including creating mankind as male and female in his image and the pinnacle of his creation appointed to govern his creation as his representative. So fundamentally, we pray because God is a speaking God. And words have power to create and sustain relationships. In some mini kind of way, we mirror God's maximum 
version of that. No speech, no relationship. No prayer, no relationship. Everything else flows out of that. Prayer happens when we come out of hiding and we answer God. A God who has spoken to us by his Son in the power of his Holy Spirit. The Word become flesh and dwelt among us and we say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son and we say, thank you, Lord, for giving us your Son. Listen to the voice of your Heavenly Father speaking to you in creation. Enjoy nature, enjoy creation. God wants to communicate something. But you will only really learn the message of the gospel through the word of God. And we need the Bible. So read the Bible. Hear the words of God. Listen to him. Cry out to him in prayer. Pour out your soul to him. You have troubles? Draw near to him. He says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. But the thing we most need to watch is the quality of our relationship with God. Do we really pray or do we just parrot our prayers? If we love God, there will be a desire to relate to him in prayer, honest, heartfelt prayer. There'll be a desire to read his word. When a person is born again, they're like a young baby and they desire the pure milk of the word that they might grow by it. Prayer is, talk, is, is talking heart to heart with our Heavenly Father. And even if it isn't vocal and it's in our hearts, it's still from our heart. John Bunyan once said, rather let your heart be without words than your words be without heart. Don't just parrot your prayers. Don't just say your prayers. Pray your prayers to your heavenly father. So what's the big idea? We pray because God is a speaking God. And speech creates and sustains a relationship with him. So let's pray to him now. Father, we praise and we thank you that you are a God who has not rewarded us according to our deeds or punished us according to our iniquity. When we hid from you, you still kept speaking to us. Where are you? What you had created still keep, kept speaking to us day by day. The heavens declared your glory. And you sent forth your Holy Spirit like the wind. And we don't know where the wind comes from and where it goes to, but everyone who is born of the Spirit enters into the kingdom of God and is born again. And here's the words of God. The word of God made flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And we listen to that voice spoken at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. 
or at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured before him and they saw him in his divine glory. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And Peter was so excited he wanted to build a tabernacle then and there and stay there. Father, will you please give us ears to hear you speaking to us by your spirit, through your son, in your word, in the day-to-dayness of life, that you are there and you are not silent. You are a God who speaks. You are a God who has established us to mirror that. You made Adam and Eve as companions for each other, to talk to one another, to communicate in a way that Adam could never talk to the animals. They they wouldn't talk back in kind. Show us, Lord, what it means to live in relationship with each other and with you, the God who speaks. Hear our prayers. We come in the confidence that you will hear us because we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who invited us to come and to have life, have it more abundantly. In his name we pray. Amen.